He didn't retaliate. He didn't try and right those wrongs right there and then. His spirit wasn't boasting with pride that, that needed to right all of these injustices. Wonderful example of meekness that he commands us to learn from. This is Beholding Christ. I'm Matt Williams, your host. Welcome to part eight of the Beatitudes, Flourishing in Christ's Kingdom from Pastor Paul Twiss. Pastor Paul's text for today is found in the New Testament Gospel of Matthew, chapter five, verse five. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The meek, you say, what does a human doormat have to do with godliness? Well, evidently, the world has added a different tone to what Jesus said about himself. Matthew chapter 11, verse 29 tells us, Jesus said this as he instructed his disciples, quote, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly, and you will find rest for your souls, End quote. Jesus' life was an example of meekness throughout, and at death's door, it was no exception. Pastor Paul said this about Christ's final hours, quote, he didn't retaliate. He didn't try to right those wrongs there and then. His spirit wasn't boasting with pride. How many churches would welcome more members if meekness was demonstrated in their congregations? Here's part eight of The Beatitudes, Flourishing in Christ's Kingdom. Well, we continue in our series in Matthew's Gospel and specifically the Sermon on the Mount. And our text this morning is the third Beatitude that Jesus speaks, Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. And as I have been doing, I'll read all of the Beatitudes just to give us context. So beginning in Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray and ask for the Lord's blessing on our time in his word. Father, we love you and give you thanks for the praise that we have been able to offer you this morning. We give you thanks for the gift of worship. And we ask now that our worship would only increase as we come before your word. Strengthen us to receive the truth and to honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't imagine the name David Haxton is familiar to you. 
His testimony is one that has not been well noted in church history. He was amongst the covenanters in 17th century Scotland, and he spent much of his life running from the official church who sought to persecute and kill him. He was eventually caught and he stood trial for his faith in Christ. And he said at the trial that he would not renounce his faith, but he was willing to receive the sharpest punishment. The judge then decreed a sharp punishment. He would be dragged through the streets of Edinburgh. He would then have both hands removed. He would then be hung, drawn and quartered because of his faith in Christ. The history books don't record that Haxton said anything in response, nor did he speak throughout the whole ordeal, save to make one request. As the executioner had removed one hand and seemingly had taken much time about it, Haxton simply asked if he could remove the second hand more quickly. Those that do record this series of events all choose the same adjective by which to describe David Haxton, they will describe him as meek. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, as has been our responsibility as we work through the Beatitudes, today also we need to consider what exactly Jesus is saying. What does it mean? To be meek, what is the manner of obtaining meekness, and what's the nature of the reward of which Jesus speaks? What does it mean to be meek? How do we obtain meekness? And what is the reward? They're the three headings that I want to organize our thoughts under this morning, beginning with the question, what does it mean to be meek? This is one of the more difficult Beatitudes to get into and understand. If I'd asked you this morning as you arrived, give me a definition of meekness, my guess is you probably would have hovered around some synonyms, gentle, quiet, peaceable, submissive. You maybe would have an example in mind that you could offer me, but to, to pin down a definition is actually quite difficult. What does it mean to be meek? There are two helps that we could take advantage of to get into an understanding of Jesus' words here. And the first is to note the progression of thought through the Beatitudes. So perhaps you'll remember last week I mentioned you shouldn't read the Beatitudes as a disparate collection of sayings with no relationship to the immediate context. As Jesus gives these Beatitudes, it does seem to some degree that there is a logical progression, an argument, as it were. So he begins, blessed are the poor in spirit, those that are spiritually impoverished, or I should say those that are willing to acknowledge their spiritual poverty. From there, he says, blessed are those who mourn. That is, blessed are those who not only acknowledge their spiritual poverty, but grieve the fact we grieve our manifold sins and wickedness. 
That's what we confess this morning. From there, he says, blessed are the meek. And the understanding is that with the first two Beatitudes in hand, an acknowledgement of your sin and a grieving of your sin now begins to affect the way you view yourself not only before God, but also before others. Maybe self-intuitive as you read Blessed are the Meek, there's an understanding that we're beginning now to probe the manner in which Jesus' disciples will conduct themselves before others. This is not a quality that is isolated only to our relationship before God, but also the way in which we go about our lives in the world. Another help to get us into this definition of meekness is to note the Old Testament precedent from which Jesus is drawing in the second half of the verse. Now, I've labored the point that Isaiah 61 is the primary Old Testament scripture from which Jesus is drawing as he gives these Beatitudes, and that's certainly true. But that's not to say there aren't other texts that also are in view. And chapter 5, verse 5 of Matthew has another text, specifically Psalm 37. You may want to turn there with me. It's instructive for us to look at how Jesus quotes from Psalm 37 and how that gives us a better understanding of what exactly it means to be meek. Verse 11, we find nearly verbatim Jesus' words in Matthew 5, 5, the meek shall inherit the land. The meek shall inherit the land. That's what Jesus says in his Sermon on the Mount. That's the third beatitude. So, as is always the case, when we notice the Old Testament connection, we are then bound to examine the broader context. It's so important that we zoom out and look at the context in which this verse is found, and I would draw your attention to simply two features of this psalm. Look first of all at the psalmist's exhortation as it relates to your trust in the Lord. Verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Verse 5, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, he will act. Verse 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. These are the meek, those that trust in the Lord, that wait patiently for him. The very first part of any definition of meekness must begin with a disposition that trusts in the Lord. A disposition of your heart that is ready and willing to accept his will, his plan, to submit to his providence in your life. But notice, secondly, the psalmist's instructions concerning your relationship with others. Verse 1, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Verse Eight, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. And we could go on. These are themes throughout Psalm 37. And so 
by way of a definition, we would say meekness is a disposition of heart that is oriented towards God with trust, a quietness of spirit, a readiness to accept the Lord's will in your life, and strives to be at peace with those around you. Meekness speaks of trust in the Lord and peace with those around you. Turning back to Matthew 5 and just considering practically for a few minutes, what does meekness then look like on a day-to-day basis? What does it look like? I would say those who are meek are daily entrusting their way to God. As a practice, the meek are daily bringing the desires of their heart before the Lord and in quiet prayer, acknowledging that it is not theirs to determine the course of their life. Father, I I trust you today. I choose to entrust my desires to you. I choose to entrust my plans to you. I know that my ways are not your ways, that your thoughts are not my thoughts, and I humbly submit to your plan for my life this day. That surely is the very first inclination of the meek. The meek also readily accept criticism. So thinking about that horizontal and vertical axis of the meek, they trust the Lord and they are at peace with others, it would mean they are ready to accept criticism, even when it is ill-founded. I remember the advice I was given many years back when criticism is brought against you. Slow down, because however ill-placed it might seem, usually... There is some truth in there somewhere. I think of the story of Helen Roosevelt when she was in the missionary training college desiring to be sent out to Africa as a missionary. She had a time of probation where she simply was given given a, a series of chores and responsibilities to go about in the missionary training house. And at the end of it, the board would meet and they would give her a seal of approval and she would be sent out. And Helen Roosevelt recounts how she considered that board meeting to be a mere formality. It was just a matter of time before she'd be on her way to Africa. And then, of course, the board met and they refused to send her. And the feedback that she was given is that they've seen pride in your life. And she writes how she was devastated. She examined herself over and over and could see no pride in her life. And so her mind was to burst into the board meeting the next time they met and to tell them how wrong they were. And then she says how she quietened her heart. And she said, if they see pride in my life, there must be pride in my life. And I will seek by God's grace to go about my responsibilities with a renewed humility. What else does it look like practically? It's a willingness to not retaliate when you suffer wrong. Not only are you ready to accept criticism, but when you are wronged, you are not burdened to retaliate, to exact the wrong on your terms. This week, we were working through a portion of the Sermon on the Mount as a family, and with my kids, we thought through what does it mean to turn the other cheek. 
And we agreed it means you don't retaliate. It's a wonderful lesson in a home with six children. Well, that's a very difficult thing because it is an attribute of meekness. What else does it look like? To be meek is to bear patiently with the failings of others. If meekness is a disposition of trust before God and a a peace amongst others, it would include bearing patiently with the failings of others. That you're not trying to correct everyone, you're not trying to micromanage, but you're willing to exercise patience as you see those around you fail. All of these and many more that we could list are what we see when we encounter someone who is genuinely me. Now, if you ponder it, if you ponder this attribute, at least two things come to mind. One is just how impactful meekness truly can be. I don't know if you have someone in mind as you think about meekness, If you've ever met someone who exudes meekness, you see the profound and powerful testimony they have for the sake of the gospel. It is remarkable to meet someone who conducts their life in such a manner that they can say, I'm meek, that the world would look at them and say, look at his meekness. It is a powerful thing to truly be meek. But then immediately what comes to mind is how difficult this is. Difficult for all of us. There are many hindrances to our pursuit of meekness. Perhaps most fundamentally, it is our inbuilt desire to control everything. Our inbuilt reflex of our sinful flesh that is unwilling to say, God, your plan is best. And our desire to always be right amongst others. I was once asked, which Bible character do you most resonate with? I said, that's easy. It's Jacob. He fought with God. He was always pushing back against God's best for him. He was never willing to submit to God's plan for his life. God had to break his hip to get him to submit. And every time I read of his story and think upon him, I see the sinful tendencies of my flesh. Not least a lack of meekness. So then that leads us to ask our second question, how do we obtain meekness? And perhaps you're already there in your thinking to obtain meekness is to look towards Christ as our example. You may be already there in your thinking, not least because Jesus tells us to do this exact thing. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, Take up my yoke, my burden, which is light. Why? Because I am meek. He instructs us, learn from me because I am meek. That word there that is often translated gentle is exactly the same word that is found here in Matthew 5.5. And as many have pointed out along the way, this is one of the few instances where Jesus draws attention to one of his attributes. Most often, if you read the life of Christ, what you see curiously is that Jesus is not in the business of telling us 
of his attributes, he simply allows the testimony of his ministry to stand for itself. We observe along the way his power and his strength and his truthfulness and his gentleness and his care and his forgiveness. Very seldom does he actually say, I want you to know this about me, and here is one example, I am meek. And it comes with the imperative, so therefore learn. Learn from me, because I'm meek. And we see it all through the life of Christ. Consider in the Garden of Gethsemane when he could see the cross before him. He understood in a way that you and I do not fully comprehend the wrath of God that was coming toward him. And he asked in all honesty with his humanity on display, Lord, take this cup from me. And then the very next thing he says, but not my will, only yours be done. Your will be done. In that moment, he is exuding meekness. Or as Isaiah the prophet tells us in his trial and leading up to the cross, he was struck by men, spat upon, mocked and scorned, and he did not open his mouth. He didn't retaliate. He didn't try and right those wrongs right there and then. His spirit wasn't boasting with pride that that needed to right all of these injustices. Wonderful example of meekness that he commands us to learn from. Now with that being said, there is a very important precursory note that we must state. It is a note that pertains not only to his imperative there in Matthew 11, learn from me, but is a note that pertains to the Beatitudes as well, and indeed all of the times when we might find Christ to be an example. Often through the Gospels, it is right and proper to look at Jesus as our example but only after you have found him to be your savior. That is the precursory note that you must always bring to mind as you look to Christ so as to imitate him. You have to remember that you can only do so when you have found him to be your savior. Think again about that double imperative in Matthew 11. It is not simply... Learn from me because I am meek. Don't miss the imperative that precedes that. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and only then may you learn from me. You cannot learn from Jesus until you have submitted to him, until you have repented of your sin and embraced him as the only one that can fix the great problem of your sin before a holy God. And this relates also to the Beatitudes. You're listening to Beholding Christ. Pastor Paul spoke today on meekness in Beatitude 3 as a progression of Beatitudes 1 and 2. Beatitude number 1, poor in spirit, and 2, those who mourn, demonstrate the blessing of being ready to acknowledge your sin and grieving because of it. Doesn't meekness fit with those two? Quote, the meek also readily accept criticism, even when it is ill-founded, end quote. Despite his loyal followers, Christ was assaulted with criticism and hate nearly everywhere. His deniers were ever-present and then plotted to kill him. Pursue meekness. Arguments and misunderstandings happen, even among our brothers and sisters in Christ, but getting in the last word 
is not helpful nor Christ-like. To learn more about loving Christ and following His example, come to our website, beholdingchrist.org. That's the new website, beholdingchrist.org. Select Resources on the homepage for a treasury of gospel teaching. Beholding Christ is a teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Twist, a listener-supported outreach of Bethany Bible Church in Thousand Oaks, California. Sunday is coming, and if you're local but don't have a church home, come worship with us. We're at 200 West Bethany Court in Thousand Oaks. Join us tomorrow for part nine as we continue with Beatitude 3, why meekness is a part of flourishing in Christ's kingdom, and we'll have a special short interview with Pastor Paul Twist. I'm Matt Williams. Thank you for listening.